0: Look at a, a story that really did happen in the Bible. And we're going to learn from that story about how important it is to be intimate with the Lord. Now, as soon as I say the word intimate, men often get real kind of uncomfortable on the inside. And I know I would do too. I'm wired like a man, and we always struggle with intimacy. Now, I'm not talking about the sensuality stuff, you know, I'm talking about the intimacy. In fact, I like when one of the friends that were teaching with me at Promise Keepers, he would define intimacy as into me see. And I like that definition of it because really intimacy is allowing someone else to get so close inside of you that they really know you. Now that tends to be a little bit about you wanting to be well known and loved by others, but intimacy is a two-way street. It's us knowing the other one so well and because of that, we can be drawn closer together and really become a better person. Well, today I'm not going to be talking about intimacy in marriage or maybe just a good friend of intimacy in friendship. I want to talk about something that's much more important than even that. In fact, what I'm going to talk about is that if we have the right intimacy with the right person, then the rest of it will become a lot easier because we know that we are intimate with the one who can fill every one of our needs. So the title of today's message is called Growing or Developing in Intimacy with the Lord. Now, I know for men, again, we have a hard time. We look at our wife. We said we loved her on our wedding day, and that's it. It's done and over with. We love her, and we do the rest of our life showing her we love her by doing certain things. And so when you hear songs to the Lord, I love you, Lord, that's a very tough thing for you to do as a guy. We'd rather hear about the facts, and we like the champion songs and the warrior songs and those kind of things, and I do too. But there is a part of us because, this is very important, God has wired us, men and women, though maybe women more than men, to have this intimate relationship with God. That's why you don't see the, the trees worshiping anything. That's why animals of all sorts, insects, whatever, they have no object of worship. They have no manifestation of worship because they are not wired in any way to worship the Lord. Now, all things will bring glory to the Lord, but that's not through worship. However, with human beings... We are made in the image of God. We're made in the image for intimacy. We're made in the image to worship God. And I hope you're going to track with me for a moment because I want to talk about those people that will worship or want to get intimate with other gods. Soon we're going to be teaching a class here called Cults and World Religions. And that's a good title because there are a lot of world religions that have their own leaders and those leaders, whatever they are, whether they're gone or today, they want to be worshipped. But I want you to know That all those leaders that are trying to do that, whatever the worldview is, it's not coming from Scripture. It's actually a lie of Satan because God says, I want you to worship me. And the underlying truth is to bring glory to the Lord through worshiping him, having intimacy with him. So God wants all of that. But Satan comes around and he says, I want man not to worship God. If anything, I want God to worship me. And he sets up an entire different world system of beliefs out there. And they've done that for for millenniums. So now we come back to you and me. Our position that God wants us is to have a worshipful relationship with the Lord. And I hope you're tracking with me because I want to move us away from just worshiping anything to worshiping God. But I don't want to end there because then again, let's put... It all in the camp to say, all right, I want to have an intimate relationship with God. There are still some issues because there are people today that will tell us who God is and will describe God to us, but will not come from the inerrant word of God. So in other words, the question is, is are you worshiping? Are you intimate with the God of the Bible? If not, then you are not worshiping God, and whatever you think you're having intimacy in, there's a self-deception, and it's not intimacy with God. So it's important for us to know who God is, and the way we know that is by knowing God of the Bible. I've used this illustration before, but for you guess: when I was traveling with Promise Keepers, it would have stadiums filled with people. And while the stadiums were filled, usually the first speaker, the first session, would then look at this big crowd of fifty to 75,000 men, and they would say, on the count of three, yell out the church that you're from. One, two, three. And you would hear nothing but 75,000 voices of just gobbledygook coming out, everybody yelling out their church. Then they would do it again, on the count of three. And they'd yell out their church, count of three, even louder. And then at the end, they'd say, all right, on the count of three, I want you to say the word Jesus, so they'd all yell out Jesus. And then they'd talk about how that, see how beautiful it is when we're in unison and we're all saying Jesus. Well, then when it was my time to speak, and by the way, I didn't speak to these huge crowds. I did speak to crowds, but not that size. But I did get a chance to speak to the men. I said, you know, as you are now getting ready to speak to Jesus and worship Jesus... I believe that I'm speaking to a crowd and this time there'd be maybe a couple thousand guys there in this side area. I'd say right now there could be a thousand different Jesuses that you're going to speak to because each one of you have brought in your own little Jesus with you. And may I add this? Christians can do the same thing. Sometimes knowingly, but more often, ignorantly. In other words, what you think of Jesus depends upon what kind of Bible training or teaching or understanding you've had from Scripture. And so you put all that together, then how accurate, there's the key, accurate is the Jesus that you are worshiping. So we move it from the secular arena, we bring it into the so-called Christian arena. Now we need to understand, to have intimacy with the Lord, we need to know Him accurately. Now let me go one step further. We can talk about worshiping the Lord and having intimacy with the Lord, but we can do it through what we might call orthodoxy. Orthodoxy could be that we do know the right God, we do know the right scripture, we know the right doctrine, we have truth, we've studied it a long time, we're still gaining it, we're growing in our knowledge, we're clarifying some of the things we've learned before, but we're really getting more accurate, or we're, we're more accurate this year than we were last year. That being said... Some of us have this relationship with doctrine, but we don't have, and I'll call that the written word, but we don't have an intimacy with the living word of God. Now hear me carefully. In order for you to have a correct, intimate relationship with God, you have to have a correct view of the Bible. So that's important. But what I want to encourage you is not to end with just how much of the Bible you know, how you can parse it, all the languages that you've learned, how many Bible studies you go to, that you can defend the faith even but as you go into your car there's that lack of intimacy with the lord in fact it could be defined as you have orthodoxy but it's a dead orthodoxy about you not so much that the orthodoxy isn't right it's very much alive but the issue is it's dead to you because now you're not taking that orthodoxy and then actually living it now to help you with that i've decided to take a situation that occurred in scripture it's not a story because sometimes when we hear story we think of that's a manufactured uh, illustration of some event But no, this really did happen. These were real people, and what we're going to hear is really miraculous as we go through it. Most of you who have read through the Bible, and often people read Proverbs and Psalms and John as they launch into this. So it's coming from the book of John. And if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to look at John chapter 11. Now, I am looking so much forward to the time that we go through John verse by verse, and it'll be a long time before I get back to this passage, so I'd like to spend a little bit of time, but I'm going to go over it fast rather than as I will do it when we do it expositionally later on. But for right now, I just want you to look to John chapter 11, and I want to title this, Growing in Intimacy with the Lord. Now, while you're getting your Bibles and notes out and all of that, you've got the understanding that it is important for you and me to have the Lord at the center of our worship And he's the one with whom we should have intimacy. Now let me pause for a moment. Some of you are probably carrying so much stuff as you come into the service today because you know that your afternoon is slammed full of things. Some of you are coming off of a horrific week and you know that you're getting into a busy year this year and you've got issues going on right now, whether they're finances or fitness or friends or foes or family or whatever it might be. And when you hear a message on the intimacy of the Lord, you struggle with that a little bit because you're saying, just get through this message so I can get on with my life and get my problem solved. Some of you might be saying, I want to hear this message, but I would really would rather hear five ways to get out of debt, four ways to get my kids back, three ways to have a stronger marriage. That's all important, and there are truths in Scripture that speak to that. But I would like to then say, though, once you have this intimacy with the Lord, and once you love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind... And once you realize the closeness that you have with him, then whatever the Lord sovereignly allows to rock your world, you'll be able to face it with a sense of peace, a sense of expectation that God is still in control and it will be all right either here or in the hereafter. And so that's why I believe this intimacy with the Lord is so very, very important. Now let me move it into a relationship for you. Some of you could be sitting here today because you are just outside of a relationship whether you're rejected or divorced or, or there was a decease, a, a death involved in this thing, or maybe you had to move away because you had to come to the island, or something happened and you feel this sense of aloneness that verges on loneliness that nobody really knows you. Sad to say it might even be in your own marriage because there are some things that are completely off balance there and you still feel very much alone. Well, again, without me trying to correct all those issues why that's the case, what I would like to say... God's grace is so big that he wants to take you in all that aloneness and perhaps this feeling of emptiness and lack of intimacy and says, don't worry, you can be intimate with me and trust me and I want to be intimate with you so that together we can make this work. Scripture would call it gnosis, knowledge. You can have knowledge of all of this but epigenosis is the full experiential knowledge to know. I know him I know that He meets my greatest needs. And it is okay that He could take the candle of His Spirit and go to the deepest recesses of my heart and mind and still love me and reveal that to me and desire intimacy. Well, the story, if you've opened your Bible to John chapter 11, will be dealing with primarily three key figures. We're going to talk about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, I don't know that this story has the the primary interpretation is all about intimacy. However, there's enough in this story that will help us to understand some concepts of intimacy that might help you in your area of becoming more intimate with the Lord. So I've titled the first point, Where Intimacy Begins, and it's going to begin with Mary. And I hope you have your Bibles. If not, you can look at the screen or the the notes that are in your worship folder, because I want to read a lot of Scripture to you. So would you right now just say, Lord, help me to get my mind right back on Scripture. Lord, help me now not to think of other things, and let me at the end of today know the importance of being intimate with you, knowing how to be intimate with you, and then beginning to experience the intimacy that I should have with you. With that, let's go on. Intimacy begins with Mary. First of all, it begins in silence. I know that's kind of hard, but truly, when we're silent, and when sometimes the Lord is silent to us, you're going to see that it can begin to breed intimacy. Let me read the passage to you. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. So it's a story about three people that lived just a short distance away. It wasn't very far, but it's talking about Mary. Not the Mary of the mother of Jesus, but Mary was the one who loved the Lord. And then it goes on to say, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now you might want to mark that in your Bible. Right off the bat, they already know that the Lord loves them, but especially loves Lazarus. And they're reminding the Lord, although the Lord knew this, that remember, Lazarus is the one that you loved. There's a lot behind that we'll talk about later on when we get to John 11 in the future message. And when Jesus heard that, he said, the sickness is not unto death. Now, what he's basically saying here is it doesn't mean that Lazarus won't eventually die because everybody will die. He says, but this particular sickness, although he will die, will not end in this death because there'll be another one later on. It's even greater than his death. And he goes on to say, but for the glory of God. And I want to mark that in your Bible. So he's basically saying whatever Lazarus is going through, it's for the glory of God. Whatever you're going to experience in this event is going to be for the glory of God. So everything that's happening in your life is for the glory of God. And that becomes the ultimate. And it goes on a little bit further and he says this. That the Son of God may be glorified through it, obviously, when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Notice how it just overflows with love. Now, if you will look up here for just a moment. Here's what we don't know. We don't know a lot about Lazarus' life except this. Whatever life he lived, he still was a sinner. He still missed the mark of God's perfection. God loved him. We know this about Martha, that Martha was a very task-oriented, busy person that she perhaps showed her love for the Lord by doing a lot of things when God would rather have her to be silent. You know, the Bible says God loved Martha. He made Martha, knew Martha would be wired this way. He loved her just the way she was. He loved Mary, and though Mary was the one who really adored the Lord, she was quieter, she was more passive, she was people-oriented. And she really loved the Lord to the point of sacrifice. The interesting thing is that God loved each of them equally. Now, where do you take this? You can have intimacy with the Lord no matter what your background is. You can have intimacy with the Lord no matter what your personality is. You can have intimacy with the Lord. Whatever you have done in the past, all we need to do is to get on the right track of having that intimacy today. And God tells us how to do that. So he talks about being silent with them. I thought it was interesting. When Lazarus was sick, the Lord knew it, but there was no Jesus. When Lazarus died, the Lord knew that, but he didn't come. When Lazarus had a funeral... He wasn't there. When they buried Lazarus, he wasn't there. But it was only after he died that Lazarus, or that the Lord decides now to come to Lazarus. So there's a lot of quietness that is going on in their life. So let me speak to you for just a moment on this. Sometimes when you go through some deep weeds in your life, you think God has abandoned you. Scripture clearly says that he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you so you can boldly say the Lord is my helper. Sometimes during the times of silence is the time that you can pause for that moment and instead of thinking about how bad the situation is, you might want to think for a moment, what is God doing in this situation in my life and how is God going to use this event to draw me closer to Him? How is this event going to bring about an intimacy between me and the Lord together? So right now, take some inventory and be still. Don't expect God to solve it right now. Sometimes if you get it solved so quickly, you might lose the chance of really drawing closer to the Lord while you're in this problem. So be silent about it. Some of you give God the time that it takes to build the character and the revelation of himself in you during this time. So it's that silence. Oh, it's okay to ask God to remove the problem that you might be having, but at the same time, just pause and reflect about the goodness of God. For some of you, you might say, Lord, bring a verse to my mind uh, while I go through this scripture of how to handle it. Others of you might be saying, Lord... You've really taught me that I'm, my world is rock right now. Either something I've been taught before was wrong and I've, I've got wrong thinking and it hasn't helped me or something that I've been taught before, I've got my eyes off of that truth and off of you. So right now, Lord, I'm just going to be silent and I'm going to let your spirit through your word speak to me about my life because it's not about this event. It's all about my relationship with you. So intimacy begins with Mary, but it begins with being silent. But let me go a little bit further. It also is with stillness. Stillness. Now, I'm talking in stillness in contrast to a lot of activity. Continue, it says. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. That was a Jewish historical, cultural thing that they would do. They would sit there, the people would come to them, they would be comforted by the people, they would bury the body within 24 hours. It happens. I remember when I was in high school, young people, I I hope you would hear this, but uh, at the same time, um, don't do what I'm about to tell you, at least the first part of it. I was uh, a new Christian. I had a Jewish friend next to me in school for two years. I never once gave him the gospel. I talked about my world, the things that I did, but I never talked to him about how I knew Christ as my Savior. I knew he was Jewish. His name was Mitchell Bernstein. He was a quiet guy, never in trouble, never picked on me. There was no bullying done by him. It was just we had no relationship, sat next together in class my senior year, I came into class early. Our classes started at 7 when you were a senior, and you'd get out by 1 so you could go to work. So at 7 o'clock, i go into my class. He was there, or he was supposed to be there. He wasn't. The students in the class were all in little groups whispering to one another. And I said, what is going on? You know, I came in late. Bus arrived to school late. They said, Mitchell hung himself in the backyard. His father came, saw... The son, Mitchell, hanging, cut him down just at the time the rescue squad showed up, then took the same knife that he was cutting down his son with the rope and started lashing out at the rescue squad at that time. Oddly enough, the students knew enough that I lived a life of some bit of Christianity. Whatever it was, they said, Would you represent Miami-Norland Senior High School and bring some kind of a gift from the school to the family on behalf of us for Mitchell? So I didn't really know what. I was a green Christian, had no Christian parents, very few Christian friends except Carol. We talked about it. The best I thought I could do would be bring them the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. So I gave them the Bible. I wrote on it, Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned our own ways, but the Lord would lay upon himself the iniquity of us all, the gospel in there from the Jewish Old Testament. And I handed it then to the family. When I arrived... I knocked on the door, and the mother was the first to greet me. Now, in the Jewish culture, they buried the body very soon, within 24 hours, but the family would be in mourning, so they wouldn't shower, they wouldn't shave, they wouldn't change their clothes. They often would sit on on stools or on the floor, and Jewish people would come around them and try to comfort them at that moment for at least a week, and they would do it for a long period of time. This was Thursday. He died on Saturday, and I had shown up. First thing the mother said to me was, Did he have any friends? Why did he do this? I will never forget those words. Did he have any friends? Why did he do this? That is probably one of the earthly illustrations and examples the Lord uses to me. When I think about if I'm really a friend to someone else, will in some way I probe them with the gospel? Will I somehow connect to them for that purpose? Now I say all of that to say that Lazarus is dead. There was a tremendous amount of mourning. Mary and Martha are sitting there. But... Martha hears Jesus is coming down the road. So what does she do? She gets up. She wants to solve the problem. What are you going to do? Why are you here? Don't you know? What's going on? What are we going to do? A lot of going on. At that moment, her stillness ended, and it was all about activity and problem solving. So you move from silence, and then you move to a time of stillness. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe what you're going through right now might require you to take your calendar prioritize it, and stop doing something for a while until you get a grasp on an intimate relationship with the Lord and then how to maintain it on a daily basis. The Lord nowhere in Scripture says you need to go into a monastery and become a monk or a monkess or whatever they call girl monks. But it does talk about coming apart for a while and taking a season. And when you're there, shut off your phone, shut off your computer. I urge you to have your Bible, though. And get there, and with the stillness, park again on the Lord. You stay there, and you allow God to speak to your heart. Love Him, adore Him, worship Him. That's the beginning of intimacy. But it moves to the third area, because there is something that we should do. It's the word surrender. There is a surrender, some people would call it submit to Him. I think that is important, because in a few moments you're going to see... We have to recognize, in order for me to be intimate with this Lord, who we know is out there permitting or prescribing things to happen, that I have to submit to His Lordship. I'm speaking about believers. He says this, or Scripture says this, And when Martha had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard that, now that's the key. She got up too, just like Martha did, but she didn't get up until Jesus called her. And I'm going to give you one thought. You're going to find, as you read the story of Mary alone, that every time you find Mary, somewhere along in that story, she is at the feet of Jesus. Now, that could be her hardwiring. It could be whatever happened that's not even in Scripture. But I do say this, whatever it is, at the base of that, there was a degree of intimacy with God because it always was. I love the Lord. I'll do what he tells me to do. I'll be where he wants me to be, and I'll be the kind of person he wants me to be. Let's go a little bit further. So the story goes on, and it says this. She arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with him in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, they followed her and they said, Oh, she's going to the tomb to weep there. In other words, we've already done our comforting. Now she wants to go to the tomb and continue her grieving process where Lazarus is. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, and now mark this in your Bible, she fell down at his feet. Now notice, nothing changed with Lazarus. She was still in a state of mourning. Their life and world was rocked because Lazarus had died, and yet she still fell down at his feet. To me, it's a sign of worship, but it's a sign of surrender and submission, believing that, God, you have the right to do and be anything you want. And said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now some people might say, well, she's really attacking him. No, she's really not. She's really attributing to God, to Christ, God, that you are in control. And had you been here, you could have and would have changed all of this. And I really love you. Maybe I could pose it this way. Some people, when they get into a jam, it's, why me, Lord? And why this? And why now? And some of you, maybe not do it outwardly, but in your heart, you're saying, why me? Someone else is worse than I am, but I had this raw deal done. Others will say, why this? If you want to do something to me, why did it have to be this bad? Or, why now? Okay, if you want to do this to me, Lord, but why did you do it right now? I'm on my way to somewhere. I've got to get this done. I don't have the time or the money to do this. Why now in my life? That's not the right way to ask that question. That's coming out of a heart of lack of intimacy, certainly a lack of belief and acceptance of his sovereignty and his ultimate purpose for good in his own glory. You can ask the question this way. Why me, Lord? I I I tell you, Lord, I I want to know because... There's something you want me to do or to be or to learn through all of this. So, Lord, why is it me? You could have given it to anybody, but there's something special that you've done for me. Why this, Lord? In other words, this whole event that's happened to me, what is in this event that I can learn? How do you want me to respond to this event? When do you want me to respond to this event? What could I do in this event? Why this event here? It's so important, it's so unusual, so special to me at this point in my life, that I want to bring glory to you. And then why now? Lord, why is it now? Hmm, You could have given me earlier. You did it later, but this is now in my life, so that must mean that there's a sovereign good.